It's Monday, February 14th. You are listening to LA Podcast episode 213. It's sort of a Valentine's Day special. I am Scott Frazier, joined here today by Alyssa Walker and Rachel Reyes. We're going to be talking about everything we love about the city of LA all day. Um, I mean, I wish. I think we have a lot of things to cover, actually. Uh, Why don't we start with our LA stories, though? Alyssa, it was hot last week. How hot was it? It was so hot. We had a heat advisory. I mean, when have you seen that issued in February? And it didn't really mean that like it was the most record-breaking temperatures every, you know, of the whole year, but it it means that like you're not prepared for it this time of year. And even like the angle of the sun sometimes makes it like worse during like the spring and fall because you're like the heat is like searing directly into your eyeballs. But we actually, we didn't break the records in LA proper, like the basin, I think Burbank broke some, Mm -hmm. but um, we didn't actually break the records um, in downtown LA because they had all been set so high already from a heat wave in 2016, which was amazing that now we have these like recent events that they're going to be happening more often. So right. what was the high? Will now be, it was the, well, it was actually just like the, the one that I'm seeing for like the, looking at National Weather Service, um, it was only really like 90 in downtown LA, surprisingly. It felt it was a lot hotter. O- it was only hotter 90. I think 90 is plenty <laughs> only hot 90. for February. I don't know. It felt pretty hot one day. I was like, surely it's 95. Um, but the, I have to give you um, some bad news about another record we broke, which is not really related to temperature, but um, we now have the longest period without precipitation for our California mountains, 32 days um, of no precipitation and actually no precipitation in sight for the next wow. at least week. So that's the record we really need to keep an eye on here. It's uh, it's going to be a bright, 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 bright and sunshiny day as uh, as the song goes. Rachel, what is your L.A. story? Yes. Well, wear your sunscreen, everyone, please. Uh, my own personal PSA before I tell you my L.A. story. So as as I've talked about before, um, I'm fairly sure. My sister works at a grocery store. She is an assistant manager at a grocery store. And within the last two weeks, uh, her grocery store, as well as neighboring, um, neighboring stores of the same chain were hit by not so much a smash and grab because nothing was smashed, but a grab and grab, um, extremely organized, (laughs) (laughs) extremely organized people, um, from her store in particular stole I believe it was three or four thousand dollars worth of wine and like a packet of wow. shrimp. A singular <laughs> packet of shrimp. Um and you know, she was telling me the story and she In all the commotion, they were like, quick, no one's gonna notice if we also get this <laughs> yeah, shrimp. I, have to, I gotta I gotta have something to eat with all this wine. I can't just drink right, you, wine. You can't look like you're only stealing the alcohol. You have to have a little bit of a snack. Oh, I forgot the cocktail sauce. <laughs> um and you know, I mean everybody was 
they they were not threatened in any way. These people um, evidently spent about half an hour outside in the parking lot, according to um, their surveillance cameras. They spent about half an hour in the parking lot, walked into the store really calmly with a you know basket, as one does at a grocery store, and just loaded it up with wine and then walked right out. And the reason I'm talking about this is because, of course, you know, the Trader Joe's Steaks was in the news last week and we're constantly talking about um, the brazenness of people going in and taking food from stores. Um, But as I always say, this goes back to staffing issues and this is a workers' rights issue. The store at the time was understaffed. My sister was the only um, person in a leadership position there. There were a couple of cashiers, like two or three. And that's it. Um, and that's not enough people. If you've been to a grocery store, um, there mm-hmm. needs to be mm-hmm. at least a dozen people walking around. It's a lot of ground to cover. Exactly. This, you know, she doesn't work at a you know boutique grocery store. She works at a large chain grocery store. So they they're fairly large. I'm happy she's okay. It also sounds like the other stores that were were hit by this wine grabbing spree are also okay. But just another reminder, just to be very nice to people that you meet at the grocery store because they are dealing with a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, shout out to our grocery store workers. Did they not have the little like they didn't have the little like uh, corral you have to walk through to get out? Because I see those being installed so in a lot did, of places. And I guess she was explaining to me that they were able to maneuver their way out with someone in front of them. Like it was incredibly well planned. Oh, so shout out to wow. them. <laughs> they scoped it out yes, ahead of time. Were, wow. You know, they were really, uh, they had planned you and know? good for you. They good earned that you, wine. All that wine. Yeah. Scott, good job. What's your story? My story is that I went with some friends out to Marisco's Jalisco yesterday. Mm-hmm. It was very oh God, so nice good. to to catch up with people. Good to get out of the house. Uh, go. We went out to Boyle Heights. Uh, for those who haven't been, the truck is out on. It's like Olympic and Soto uh, or thereabouts in Boyle Heights, um, and it's so wild. This area is like a food hotspot. I mean, I'm sure a big part of that is because of the success of the Marisco's Jalisco truck, but also just like there's a ton of other uh, things around. People are are constantly milling around the, the other shops and trucks there. And it's just like a great little uh, food scene. We got our shrimp tacos, which were uh, delicious. I do my, I do my shrimp shopping above board of course um <laughs> mostly because i'm not i'm not organized i don't have the the sorts of of uh friends who can really check off the boxes to to put together uh, a shrimp heist from a grocery store one day maybe but not not currently anyway we we you know got together it was just good to um these were were former coworkers of mine so it was good to actually just sort of start to reconnect with people. And I've been telling all of my friends, I've been sort of like sending uh, an SOS or like a bat signal out to my friend groups where I'm like, okay, it's been two years of the pandemic now. And my my restaurant circle has shrunk so much to the point where it's mm, like, you know, now 
it's like uh um on MySpace, if you are of a certain age, mm-hmm. how you had your like top eight, right? <laughs> like now I feel like I have my top eight restaurants and I like do not go to other restaurants because it's just like, where can I get delivery? Where do I not have to so like get out of my sweatpants or whatever? So now life has to go on. I have to do some, I have to do some new restaurants. Um, I have to get, you know, start expanding my uh, my circle back out a bit, and that's I'm happy. I'm just happy to happy to be doing that. Doing that. So um, that was me out there in the not record breaking heat, in the record breaking not precipitation, just living life, enjoying my shrimp tacos. Okay, so let's get into the week's news. Um, everybody, I just want you to take a deep breath in, take a deep breath out. That's it. It's football season is over as you are listening to this. Thank uh, you. Thank you. <laughs> football season is over. The Super Bowl, America's traveling gladiatorial carnival has left Los Angeles. Alyssa, I thought you were pro Super Bowl, but you <laughs> are not. What is, what is your stance on the Super Bowl and, and, and football I'm, in I'm general? pro dips. I'm okay. pro dips. I love having like parties although you know you are you are a hostess by nature (laughs) i love having parties yes but i like and i also like watching like shared tv events because i feel like we don't have those kinds of experiences very often even though i know the real world um events like the oscars and the super bowl and the olympics really disrupt the places that they're having them um but i do like watching something together with, you know, some buffalo chicken, chicken dip. I love a, I love a buffalo dip. I don't, I don't care what's being dipped in. I told you my, my thing is wings and I don't get enough opportunities to eat wings throughout the year because apparently they're not um, like healthy or something. I, I am not a football person. I'm not a Super Bowl person. I, and I mean, I like a party. I like an Alyssa Walker party. But mm-hmm. um, but Thank in ge- in general, um, you know, sort of sort of reclusive. <laughs> um, Rachel, what is what is your? Let, I want to I want to break the tie. Where do we stand on Super Bowls as uh, as a trio here? Look, I I don't care for sports really unless it's baseball and basketball. You know, basketball can can make a case for itself. But uh, I agree with Lissa. I love a snack. I love oven nachos. I love uh, a vegetarian bean queso situation and Mm. uh, generally junk food overall. I'm a big fan of. So I've been loving the pre-Super Bowl ads with all of the like old guy football players singing Olivia Rodrigo and eating Doritos. (laughs) (laughs) That's my level of participation. And just in general, like I... I can't stand football. It takes too long to finish. It's like these games are four or five hours. Like who has the commitment? You know, there's so many other things you could be doing uh, or other things you could be watching. If frankly, if you wanted to sit on the couch for five hours. So I'm not a fan. I don't think we need to be pausing the time every five seconds. Um, 
that. So don't care. Happy the football is over. Don't have to think about it. That's for the commercials, though. There's nothing you can do about it. Well, and again, capitalism ruins a lot of things. So it all comes back to capitalism. <laughs> so that that's it, Scott. Um, anti anti Super Bowl. Okay, that's uh, that settles it. I think <laughs> it's a solid two against. I think anyway. So. Uh, there you have it, LA Podcast. Happy to see the Super Bowl go. The Super Bowl is taking with it an enormous uh, federal government security and surveillance apparatus. I mean, at least the parts of it that are removable. I think there's a lot of it that's not going anywhere for this foreseeable future. And we will talk about some of that in just a minute. Um, Alyssa, there was a bunch of coverage that our listeners may or may not have seen about specifically law enforcement and national security in the run-up to the event. What does it take to run this type of event in 2022? How did local, state, federal governments respond to uh, to having the Super Bowl in Los Angeles? Oh, man, I wish I had gone to this event. I was invited to some like Customs and Border Patrol demonstration of new technology. And I think it's just like the same kind of scanners they use for like vehicles like entering any kind of secured space, but also like how strange that like the robot dogs also started patrolling the border this week. That I, was I so was like, gross. Are we? <laughs> right? Like we're like, we're just doubling down on all the um, weird invasive surveillance. I mean, it's funny because it's like technically, uh, so technically that's not in LA County, that's like down at the like the San Diego County border and and wherever else in the wilderness. But also, I think it's good to remember that ICE has jurisdiction a hundred miles from the border. It's like yes, it's yes. like LA is total. You might see robot dogs mm-hmm. patrolling those robot the streets dogs are here. Just, yeah, those aren't your Amazon delivery truck little uh, rolling. I don't know. I'm still, I, you uh, know what? If I see an Amazon, <laughs> if I see an Amazon droid, it, it's on, on site, site, motherfucker. I'm kicking that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen that Black Mirror episode. So yeah, there, there have been multiple press conferences, right? It's like every day there's like a new press conference to tell us how safe it'll be. And Alejandro Mayorkas, um, who's the head of Department of Home Security, um, was at one of these press conferences and just went over like, everything they're doing with like this overlapping jurisdiction of all these different agencies. Um, People have seen ICE, as you mentioned, they were actually hassling street vendors um, around the stadium, which is just kind of like the next level of LA's way of um, dealing with street vendors, which is very troubling. Um, So you had, uh, I I think the total count was 10 individual agencies, a military presence. We've got like flyovers happening, right? So we, <laughs> Scott gathered some amazing clips of like every local news reporter being like, we're, we're going to the site of the Super Bowl with the Coast Guard slash the uh, Homeland Security slash ICE. So uh, let's hear some of those clips. Yeah, that's right, Sandra. Today, our cameras were out with air and marine operations crews again, but this time in the waters off the coast of L.A. 
population density is a huge concern of mine. Anyone for political or, or religious reasons want to do nefarious acts, they're looking for a high population density area. That makes me nervous. Strike teams have been planning for over a year. You know, for us, every day is game day. So, you know, the players eat, sleep, live football. You know, we eat, sleep, live maritime law enforcement. We eat, sleep, Big yikes live. on that one. Maritime law enforcement. <laughs> Every day is game day. Live, love, life, maritime law enforcement. Yeah. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, again, the security theater trying to show everybody this is going to be really safe. And there's a bunch of extra regulations in place, of course. Like you obviously cannot drive on a lot of the streets, which will be closed. We'll talk about that more in a minute. If you fly a drone um, within 30 miles of the stadium, you could be fined and arrested. Um, and 30 it, it's, miles. It's all funny because like 30 miles is a, is a big area. And also just with you, when you think about the stadium is in the flight path for LAX and we're going to let planes fly over it during this time, you know, <laughs> not kind of to the side, I guess, but like, it's still amazing that it's underneath the flight path of a major airport. It's crazy. Um, and now we, and we also have our local, uh, law enforcement, uh, friends, who live, love, laugh, law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, Alyssa, what is the LAPD component to all of this? Obviously, they fit in somewhere. They are trigger-happy individuals. So how are they going to get their rocks off during the Super Bowl? <laughs> right. So they, um, I, we've had a lot of breathless articles about this too, because remember, so many were sick and coming leading up to the Super Bowl, um, they have been like raising the alarms that they're not going to have enough right, people. Yeah, what was the statistic like? over a thousand LAPD personnel were out sick on a sick out over the, the mask mandate, quote unquote, <laughs> right? <laughs> they have never said that it was a sick out, but I strongly suspected that In was In our heart of happened. hearts on this Valentine's Day, it was a sick out. Yes. Yeah, it seems suspicious. And also that, uh, that they also ha wanted to increase uh, number of employees. I think they said uh, 1,300 employees were out sick simultaneously, but now it's gotten better all of a sudden. Um, and then they also have to... Yeah. And they also have to deploy people to other sites. There's a whole downtown component, the experience. I think it'll be... I think it's over by the time the Super Bowl starts, but like they... By the convention center. And then they also said that they were going to put a lot more LAPD officers on transit during the, the weekend. And of course, there are going to be other big, I mean, like this is kind of just like a dress rehearsal when you think about it for the Olympics. Like we have other mega events coming, right, Alyssa? Oh, they keep saying this. This is like a test run or whatever that person just said, like we're, we're preparing every day now for this, but now they're actually going to be like every day. I have a quick quiz for you about mega events coming to the region. Would you like to participate in my quiz? Pop yes. quiz. Yes, sure. please. So we, we know, I think you all know the Olympics is in 2028. Maybe you've heard, um, which seems like it's right around the corner now. What major sport event was supposed to happen in 2020, but was canceled due to the pandemic and it's going to be held this year in LA? Oh, Ooh. Is it some kind of race? No, it's something that Rachel will oh. watch. Oh, uh, is it like a baking championship? Survivor. <laughs> 
<laughs> all-star game. They're all sports things. The all-star right. game was supposed to be held at Dodger yes. Stadium. Oh. And they didn't it. have it. So now they moved it to this year. So we're having both of those big major sporting events in one year. Okay. In 2023, the U.S. Open is being held here. Wow. What country club is it being held at? Melissa, do you think I Trump. know the names of country clubs? <laughs> <laughs> the one that OJ was a uh, but What is that one? Yeah, that's a good guess. In Brentwood. No, actually the Los Angeles Country Club, which is like. Which one is that? The Los Angeles Country Club is the one that's like on Wilshire, like closer to Westwood as you're getting, you know, uh, uh, heading that way. Um, probably won't affect the city in such a, a dramatic way. Okay, then last question. Um, what other international mega event is possibly going to come here in 2026? Oh, I know this one. This is the World Cup, right? Mm-hmm. Men, or, yes. Wait, is it is it men's and women's at the same time? When it's the World Cup? See, this is where I do not know how <laughs> soccer works in any oh, okay. way. So, oh, the um, quizzer becomes the quiz. <laughs> but this was like the big, <laughs> this was the big push for us getting the LAFC stadium because this was to prove to them uh, that, you know, that we were serious about <laughs> soccer. So that's why uh-huh. you can explain like every decision that's been made, um, you know, over the last 10 years for how to, this our decade in sports that's coming up. So, she that is a lot, and um, and I'm so glad that that everyone who live laughs loves maritime law enforcement is going to have their <laughs> <laughs> going to have their next uh, decade it. of events planned for them. Um, but sp- speaking of those, the LA Times released the results, or actually, I think just did a bunch of different stories about a poll they did with. Survey Monkey. I'm. I wish. I wish that they would not name their companies things like this. It sounds so stupid. Uh, about the Super Bowl, the Olympics, other mega events. This is um, something that they looked at nationally and also in the LA region. Um, Rachel, what what were some of the findings? Mm, yeah. So, like you said, this was a survey the LA Times ran in early February of this year, and they used it to draw out some of the public perception around these mega events, like the. Olympics. Olympics, the Super Bowl, um, and the NFL, both locally, but also from a national point of view. Uh, the top line statistics that the Times put out are that both the Super Bowl and the 2028 games are very popular regionally, um, but the Super Bowl is less so popular the, than the Olympics. Um, 63% of respondents were very excited about the Super Bowl here in LA and 76% of respondents were happy about the Olympics in 2028. So there is a difference there. That's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, the, the timing of the survey, you know, I am curious about like we were saddled with the responsibility and the burden to host the Olympics. Thank you, Garcetti. And our, you know, pretty blasé city council at the time that just let him do whatever he wanted back in 2017. Um, That's when the LA Times should have ran a public opinion poll. I think they should have been polling us every year, honestly, because I think there's a lot of stories to be drawn out when you're over 10 years out from a mega event like this. Um, And even though we're now seven years out, as we said, it feels like it's around the corner. 
in seven years, the city's going to be so different. The city already looks and feels different than it did back in 2017. We're hosting a summer Olympics in 2028. It is February. And as Alyssa already explained um, so thoughtfully in her LA story, we've broken multiple records. It's really hot. Um, What is it going to be like in July of 2028? So anyway, this it's going to be like that picture where it's like... Uh, the guy golfing as the, the forest is on fire in the background. That's going to be the 2028 Olympics. As Bel Air burns behind him at the Brentwood Country Club. I mean, remember they moved the um, the county fair. They moved it from summer to May right. last year, the LA County Fair. So what if they move the Summer Olympics to like the spring? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past them or they build some kind of like outdoor AC unit to just blast cold air at people. But Oh, like they have that in like, uh, that's a very, like a very real thing. They have outdoor air conditioning in a lot of the um, like cities, like in like Saudi Arabia. Right. (laughs) They really do actually have I think it's going to have to be like that, I would imagine, as the climate (laughs) continues to get worse. But this is why the work of No Olympics LA is so important for our city. Uh, They have been doing work since 2017 to tie together all of the threads that we have already been discussing, right, with policing, with housing and mega events. All of these threads need to be tied together for the public to really understand. And I think people that lived through 84, I think that people who are already in communities that are over-policed and underserved know exactly what, know exactly what the city is going to look and feel like in 2028. So, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence we're seeing a difference between these two polls. And I expect the public and regional sentiment is going to nosedive the closer we get to the Olympics and the more these problems start to become exacerbated in the coming years. Uh, one thing that I'm kind of curious about, too, is like the well, I mean, so when you run a poll like this, obviously the findings are going to be uh, trumpeted by Olympics boosters like the mayor. Um, but the way that you ask the questions and who you ask them to is obviously so important. And so I'm kind of curious, like when you say regionally, what are we talking about here? Great question, Scott. And this is also something that annoys me about <laughs> this poll. So the time survey um, was looking at opinions from people in the entire five county area. So not just LA County. We're talking about Orange County, Ventura, San Bernardino, and Riverside counties. So that also probably impacts the opinion and the numbers that we're seeing a lot. Um, Because, you know, if you live by the stadiums where these games are going to take place, you're going to have road closures, noise pollution, light pollution. There's going to be a lot of things going on. But if you live in Riverside, like nothing about your life is going to change. So if you live in Riverside, uh, you're going to get great bragging rights, like the Super Bowl, the World Cup, whatever is coming to my town. But like, I'm obviously not going. I'm not impacted but by not, anything. Yeah, that's but happening. not really. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. Where <laughs> like, you're is. so far I'm away from it. Maps. I don't know where these <laughs> places are. I just know it takes like, like hours. 90, to get there. is it 90 miles? Yeah, hours. Uh, yeah, hours it's like away. it might as it might as well be in a different state. It, it's so far from you. Like, oh, it's the Olympics really, are not even going to yeah. affect you. Yes, the area, particularly for the Olympics, is going to be a giant, um, like a giant no fly <laughs> zone. Um, and then, but for just for coming up this week, I mean, I've seen like metro 
share tips for like how to get to the game using transit, which of course doesn't go to the stadium or anywhere close to it. Um, and even won't, even when the Crenshaw line goes in. But anyway, um, I haven't really seen anybody talking about like bus detours or say you had to get from like Inglewood to your work using transit. Like this is going to be hugely disruptive, just like all these things always are. And then, um, you know, also reminds me a lot of the Oscars, which is small, but notable when they do these like security checkpoints to get in and out of a certain area. Like who knows how wide that's going to be in the Olympics. They, I mean, uh, for the Oscars, they fenced off, remember, like the entire area around Union Station. You had to walk all the way around just to get to it. So I'm sure there will be some large scale disruptions for people using transit. Or even if you're like landing at the airport that day or trying to get to the airport that day. I mean, it's very close to LAX. So like, I'm sure it will be a huge headache Yeah, it's for just irritating because people still have to go to work. Like I worked all weekend. People still, like the entire city doesn't shut down for the Super Bowl. So I hear you on that. And, you know, I think when we talk about support for these mega events and specifically with the Super Bowl and the Olympics, it really should be up to us, the people that live in the city who are putting on this event and footing the bill that the LA Times actually interviews and talks to and not the boosters, not the people that benefit from these games, the people that have to put up with all of the drama um, and terror, frankly, that comes with these games. We've already seen countless videos. And as we referenced earlier, um, videos and photos of ICE um, already being here and all kinds of other law enforcement agencies terrorizing our communities, whether they're street vendors. Um, And it's going to get worse for the Olympics. Like if we think the Super Bowl is bad and it is, and all of this, you know, extra money that's being pumped into law enforcement agencies of all kinds, it will be it will be 10 times as bad for the Olympics. Um, so if you want like more info on how to stop the games from happening, because we don't know if they're going to happen in 2028 or you just want to organize with your neighbors here in L.A., please, please, please look into No Olympics L.A. They're doing amazing work. They you know, had lots of discussions. There was a demonstration last week as well before the Super Bowl. So definitely plug in with their work on the ground if you want to help keep your neighbor safe from all of the atrocities of mega events. Uh, yeah, I mean, so we talked about this security theater kind of at length, you know, the everything from like fighter jets patrolling in the desert to you can't fly a drone in your backyard or the FBI will come get you. It's part, like it seems almost almost like the game before the game. Honestly, like it's it's just like amped up in the media to that uh, to that extent. But one thing we haven't discussed yet is the dreaded right wing trucker convoy, Alyssa. Yeah. So this is something that's been talked about um, at all these um, very multiple press conferences. Um, And I'm sure everybody knows, maybe this has already ended by the time you're hearing this, but the the trucker convoy um, is this group of uh, this blockade that's been assembled, um, I believe towards the end of the week, last week, they were blocking um, the Canadian city of Windsor from the American city of Detroit, which was stopping auto parts or something from making its way to car plants. Um, This would have ended a long time ago if it was, say, 
Black Lives Matter protesters trying to um, stop uh, a freeway from operating. But of course, if they're truckers, it's fine. Um, remember, remember Chaz, now- anyone, right? <laughs> like the, <laughs> <laughs> how, how fast they shut that shit down. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is just, you know, kind of a very stark illustration of who we allow to um, occupy our uh, cities. Um, So there's now a copycat group. The Canadian one was the Freedom Convoy. And we have a copycat one called the People's Convoy. And there was all this news that they were going to drive into... Inglewood, I guess, and like block the roads <laughs> around the street. How would you know the difference though? Because all the streets are already closed. Anyway, but um, but now they're saying that they're not going to do that. I, I can't keep up with all the different convoys and, and what their plans are. Don't they like the Super Bowl? Isn't there like a huge 100% overlap? I know. Well, the, okay. Well, the, the thing is about, the thing that they're so mad about is like, it's related to what we talked about on last week's show because it's about they're against like vax and mask mandates. So they're, I guess they're coming here to to free Eric Garcetti's face. They're like, we want to see the full <laughs> face. I want the so full face. maybe they're... <laughs> They don't. Uh, that's going to be a great presidential <laughs> motto for him one day. I give you the full face. Garcetti 2028. <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the truckers were protesting because Justin Trudeau's government made it so that if they were coming across the international border into Canada, they were subject to the vaccine mandate. Though, So it's an anti-COVID uh, mandates sort of campaign. Uh, and they tried to, you know, they're saying they need to dissolve parliament and all this stuff. I'm not even sure how many of these guys are actually Canadian, but apparently they have thoughts about parliament. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know, Rachel, what, what's what's actually happening at the Super Bowl, if anything? Right. So, yeah, the, the USA truck convoy, which just sounds like a truck show. Um, it's not identified... <laughs> We have plenty of room for this mega event. Just use, you know, one of the Irwindale's Go Speedway to or something. Like, Come on. <laughs> hang out. I don't We've got, to... yeah. We're happy to accommodate you at one of our many venues that we've built for just this like, thing. Their whole, their whole vibe is shut down the Super Bowl, medical freedom, protest, all caps, exclamation point, number one, exclamation point. Um, <laughs> they're, the, aim, the aim of that is is definitely more local, right? Like they want, uh, Dr. Barbara Ferrer to be fired. They want an end to local mask mandates, as both of you said, like a face-off, mask-off situation. They want to see everyone's face. So yes. that that's really their vibe. Well, they're getting their wish. <laughs> yeah, frankly. I mean, fa- honestly. Don't have to come here. We're going to end our mask <laughs> mandates anyway in California. This, this might not be the end of this story. Like this may be coming back in March when like this group says they want to get into uh, the Coachella Valley and start a cross-country trucker rally where they're going to go to... Um, Joe Biden's first State of the Union. So maybe we'll maybe we'll return to this story somehow. Uh, and with that, I mean, let's let's just close the book on Super Bowl Fifty Six, and we'll. I'm sure that by the time the decade ends, we'll have another one of these. Uh, so 
more to come. But fringe conservatives aren't the only groups that have been pushing for a relaxation of COVID mandates. They're obviously just the most vocal and they have the greatest number of trucks. In the last week, there has actually been a flurry of activity around state and local mask mandates in California. Uh, And a lot of this was spurred by an announcement that California is about to draw back some of its own requirements for individuals. Rachel, what is going on in the land, the wonderful land of COVID restrictions? Mm -hmm. Yes, a lot of this discussion dates back to something we covered in a previous episode uh, that... (laughs) A photo that keeps on giving uh, Mayor Garcetti and Governor Newsom not wearing masks at the Rams 49ers game, still talking about football. Um, While Mayor Garcetti is getting roasted all over the media for, quote, holding his breath (laughs) to avoid COVID, uh, our lovely governor announced he would be ending the state's mask mandate. Oh, my God. And yeah, the timing of this, too. The jokes were just like, oh, finally, the mayor can let out his breath in one week or something. (laughs) But yeah, they they never really apologized. They never really just said, I mean, they got so close, I guess, but they never actually said, we'll see. We'll we'll know now if they were caught on tape um, at the (laughs) Super Bowl. Like, just put a mask on. Just say you'll put a mask on next time. It's really not a big deal. Um, Yeah, so the state says that this week on the 16th, That's just in two days. We will be rescinding the blanket mask mandate for indoor places. And this applied to anyone indoors, regardless of vaccination status. And that mandate was put into place two months ago when Omicron was just beginning to surge. Uh, But when the state at large gets rid of its order, it will remain in place here in LA County, as I'm sure everyone has heard. Uh, We have our own mask mandate. As we've talked about before, local health departments uh, supersede the state health department orders. Um, So we will be keeping our mask mandate. Um, And we have had this blanket mask mandate since last summer, uh, between June and July. We were like the first mm-hmm. to put it back into right, yeah. effect. Like bravo you know, to us. As the timeline yeah, goes. Yeah, like LA did it. <laughs> right. And then and then people were making fun of LA for it. Like mm-hmm. the New York Times and the Washington yes. Post were like, oh, Hollywood, land of fruits and nuts, wants to put performative mask wearing. And then and then here and then they Don't followed you us. People love the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Delta, you know. And then they followed us. And now and now they're going back and L.A. is still in this position of having a mask mandate. L.A. County is going to continue to have it. Uh, And it's been a source of consternation. Like we were just talking about even um, sort of the people who are trying to shut down the Super Bowl are are calling for Barbara Ferrer's uh, job. Maybe they're calling for her head. I don't know at this point. It's become sort of a rallying cry uh, among certain political circles, not even just on not even just on the right, but uh, city of LA and other smaller cities should cut ties with the county department health of health, which uh, Barbara Ferrer heads up. It's sort of like a real dog whistle, like right now. If you look at candidates' um, statements of of what they want to do in office, like for example, take Tracy Park in CD eleven in the city of LA, uh, who's the leading fundraiser in the race currently to replace Councilmember Mike Bonin. 
She is calling for the establishment of a city public health department to, quote, reduce our reliance on the county. Like, it's just what um, is it's it a with total these dog. people trying to create health departments. My it's God. a total it's a total, um, you know, cause celebre for for a certain segment of of mm-hmm. the, the, the political class here right now. People who don't understand how health departments work and <laughs> like it would be unbelievable if the city had its own public health department. Like, I don't even know how that would work. Like, look at what has happened with housing. You want to do the same thing to public health? Like, I I, I don't. I don't understand. Um, <laughs> but possibly simultaneously with the state's masking change, LA County will return. We will return to allowing maskless patrons at outdoor events like concerts and sporting events. Um, There will also be no masks required in outdoor areas at schools in the county. Um, But there are a series of metrics the county is using to determine when uh, we will be able to safely fully lift this order, um, which is probably better than just making changes in response to negative PR, uh, like Governor Newsom seems to be doing Um, And Dr. Ferrer is currently projecting that our indoor mask mandate will not be lifted until around the end of March. And all of this is based off of lots of scientific projections that I trust doctors and medical experts to understand. I don't know anything. We had we had 103 people die on Wednesday, um, which was the highest number we've had since March. So, yes, let's keep this going. And um, oh, my God, the school masking debate this week has just been like I cannot deal um, just so many groups, not just like the freedom convoys or whatever, which are trying to say that, like, you know, masks are child abuse. Remember, anti-maskers yelled at me um, when I was walking with my kids one day that like, you know, my kids can't breathe and it's child abuse. Um, But the school masking thing, oh my God, like people are going so crazy because they are trying to say that somehow we should end the mask mandates in schools that we know are working. um, And at the same time, a lot of the same people are not calling for vaccine mandates in schools. So again, talking about the the dog whistle that, um, <laughs> that Scott was talking about. It's probably understandable because I mean, it, it, like it obviously hits close to home for people who, who have kids and have been struggling to reorder their lives. You're one of those people, Alyssa. Um, but like, it's also worth noting that for as much as we talk on this show about how LAUSD has been so successful, getting kids vaccinated, getting kids services, setting up this incredibly robust testing system and contract tax tracing, even for all of those successes and and the way that we talk about LAUSD is what should be like a national model um, for a lot of people outside of our uh, political uh, circles, I think that schools as an issue has been the thing that has most broken people's brains and they just like cannot, they can't get with this. No. And there were so many like pundits trying to explain to us why we should change this thing. And I just want to explain to them. I mean, someday I will go in detail about like what happens when somebody in your class gets COVID and how disruptive that is for parents. And if you have two kids, you know, my four-year-old 
who is not, he cannot wear a mask uh, when he takes a nap at school and they have to take a nap at preschool. So the mask is good protection for the other times where he's not sleeping in the room with a, you know, a bunch of kids um, breathing in each other's air. There's no really way around that. So like, if you don't understand that part, first of all, I can't really help you or explain to you that, remind you that children under five cannot go through the day without sleeping. <laughs> like that's part of the childcare situation. So like, first of all, yes, keep these kids masked absolutely until we can get them vaccinated, which we also learned this week. Oh my God. Oh, parents were just like, if you heard like that sound, it was just like agony um, from the people with under five kids. We thought we were going to have Shots available by the end of this month. Now they're saying um, they're going to do another trial to check the efficacy of a three-shot regimen, which is great. We want it to be the safest and the most effective as possible, but that means we're probably waiting until April. So again, we're in this point. You talked about like when Delta happened and we started to roll things back just ahead of that. Um, or going into another period where restrictions are loosening and parents, once again, as we hit the second year, second anniversary of the pandemic, have nothing, no protection for our I kids. I really wonder how long we're going to keep doing this whole back into reopening mode and then a month later shut partially back down again. It's like incredibly frustrating to keep going back and forth. I mean, it does seem like there are at least some politicians who are fully happy to continue to do the reopen and then backtrack and reopen and backtrack forever. Uh, For example, after Mayor Garcetti and Gavin Newsom's little gaffe that they had, that has been used by some politicians, Catherine Barger at the county supervisor, uh, county board of supervisors, for example, posted on Facebook that it's time to be done with quote, blanket masking policies in LA. Uh, But also in the Daily News, we had an op-ed from city council member, our our favorite city council member from the 15th district and mayoral candidate, Joe Buscaino. Um, What did he have to say? Please please note that you said favorite in a sarcastic (laughs) way. It was a- Let the record reflect. (laughs) Yes, this op-ed, wow. Okay, it's like this, get used to it, open everything, get back to normal, you know, just you, listen to me because I am a smart man uh, syndrome that we have yeah, going around. The, there's a lot of it going around. The state is doing a plan for <laughs> endemic COVID too. Right, which doesn't mean what you think it is. If you talk to an epidemiologist, it, be, it doesn't mean end COVID. <laughs> it, means, it doesn't mean we're going to pretend that it's over. Right, so um, he... He was. He uses the example again of of Garcetti and the mass mandates, and then he says that NFL fans from two of the most progressive cities in the nation are flaunting a mass mandate. I believe he meant flouting. He did. But again, I I have followed some of the typos that uh, the Buscato campaign has been putting out there, and this is an issue for somebody who spends so much money on consultants, but. Um, I was really bothered by him saying that like children are suffering because they're wearing masks. Um, and that is, again, the dog whistles. Um, it's, it, this is, he's go, he's veering into this anti-masker 
um, territory and, uh, you know, like the flu, things like that, you know, just he's, he's got, he's, he's left the building as far as like any kind of, um, and he also related it to, to car crashes, which everybody says he's supposed to be this like amazing transportation person. And he was like, we accept a level of risk in everything we do. This many people die of car crashes. Okay, bro. Well, I guess you don't care about vision zero. <laughs> and and he's saying all of this, at, you know, while the country has just surpassed 900,000 COVID deaths. That's like 900,000 yes. families affected. People who yes. might not have parents anymore, don't have spouses. Like <sighs> people dying, those 103 deaths that you talked about earlier, like those are people with families and people who contribute to their communities in a myriad of ways that we will never know, but are all impacted by. And it's just, it's incredible to me that we could be nearing a million deaths and, and people are speaking and behaving this way in public and people who are running for some pretty powerful offices. It's just really, it's disgusting. I mean, and just to like contextualize that, that number, like we're not even, we're almost at the the close of the second year, but we're not there yet. So like 900,000 deaths in two years in the country, that's 450,000 deaths a year, two years in a row. Like, so to, to say like, we've gotten used to dealing with it the way that we deal with the flu, the deadliest flu season of the past decade in the U.S. caused 60,000 deaths, according to the CDC. This is a figure I've had to pull up multiple times because this this keeps coming up somehow. Um, and normally it's much lower than that. Normally it's like 30,000, 40,000. So like the one year there was a particularly bad flu season, we had 60,000 deaths. So we're talking about more than seven times, like seven and a half times as many deaths as the deadliest flu season, two years back to back. And so like you think that might merit some special policy consideration. They'll also say like the latest strains aren't as um, dangerous for people and look at the number of cases compared to the number of deaths. No, I won't. Like, it's like, this is still like really disrupting our lives. And to try to um, move us towards some future that like you've invented in your head that we can somehow get to, um, you know, it's absolutely, you know, putting him as the most right winger um, candidate here. And he's, he's going to keep drawing out some of these big winners for uh, for his uh, new constituents that he envisions he's going to be able to draw into his campaign. Uh, let's listen to some clips from city council this past week where members actually got into it and started accusing each other of political theatrics. Let's hear that. To be very honest with you, this ordinance to me feels like political theater than the actual work we need to do to solve a problem. Here's why I think that because the problem this ordinance is trying to address is already illegal and it hasn't stopped it from happening. And instead of trying to figure out why and to do the work to resolve those challenges, we're just passing another law. Uh, Thanks also for the observation, uh, Ms. Rahman, uh, about the political theater. If if this body is going to be continually part of uh, a a campaign commercial, uh, I'm not gonna be a uh, a, a silent extra in the background. Political theater members, my goodness, it's going to be a long 11 months. Uh, a warning to members who are running for election, re-election or another office. If you put forth uh, a motion, 
that want to improve our quality of life in Los Angeles, that's political theater. Some nonsense on that. So wow. on the topic of uh, mayoral <laughs> hopeful Joe Buscaino, that was his voice you just heard there at the end after fellow council members Nithya Raman and Mike Bonin. That chippiness on council, uh, that's in response to a Buscaino motion that moved forward last Tuesday. Alyssa, what can you tell us about LA's new proposal for dealing with bike thefts? God. All right. So um, this was approved is the most important thing to know by a vote of 10 to 4. Um, this was Joe Buscano's motion to draft a new ordinance that would make it a crime to be in possession of broken bikes or multiple bikes in the public right away. So just think about that for a minute and like how that would actually impact a large group of people in this city. Um, it's based on a similar ordinance in the city of Long Beach, which I um, found a very funny that Buscaino has claimed that has solved this problem. Here's the clip. <laughs> uh, we have learned from our neighboring city, uh, city of Long Beach. They've taken a novel approach uh, to addressing this problem, making it a criminal offense for um, uh, to operate uh, uh, bicycle chop shops in public areas. Uh, the Long Beach Ordinance describes a chop shop as three or more bicycles, a bicycle frame with the gear cables or brake cables cut, two or more bicycles with missing parts or five or more bicycle parts. Okay, so there's just like all this math of what you're allowed to have. So it's, <laughs> it's like, like who's going to keep this? Yeah, who's going to keep this straight? Oh, so you can have, uh, you, you can't, it's illegal in Long Beach, apparently, to have three or more bicycles in public, um, two or more bikes with missing parts, or one bike with the cable cut, or have five or more bike parts. Like, what? So, I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong. This just sounds like it's criminalizing the homeless. I guess I'm, I guess I'm a bit confused, because, like, like we heard Councilmember Raman say in that first clip, Stealing is illegal, right? Stealing bikes is a crime. Um, and then there's like this whole thing about like the public right of way. I, I guess I just don't find it that convincing that the city of Los Angeles is suddenly cares what happens to bikes. I mean, or, or bicyclists for that matter. Like they're they're facing that like yes. that uh, ballot measure where it's literally just asking them to do what they said they wanted to do in the mobility plan. Like, uh, but now they're saying bike thefts is is a really big issue. I guess. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned the healthy streets um, ballot measure, which is starting to gather signatures, which was really just say um, you have to actually put in bike lanes to help people not die. Um, so you'd think that, you know, they might have been even thinking about that in the back of their head that like, oh, wow, if somebody um, has a bike that's broken and needs to get around, um, maybe we should like have uh, mobile repair shops that could help people. I don't know. This is obviously the complete opposite. It's clearly just to target people who are in your way and may happen to have a bike. And it really echoes something we talked about on the show um, a couple of months ago, this Robin Abkarian uh, column that was basically saying, if you lost your bike, go to this specific encampment and try to get it back, which again is like really encouraging like violence against a certain community. Yeah, the Times was out here wanting people to become little local vigilantes and go into people's homes yeah. and, you know, take their property back. Take their bike back. Yeah. And that's what this ordinance kind of is. And I feel like we should really reflect upon the power of 
columnists and uh, how they can so swiftly affect policy in this city. Um, But this is like, it, it wasn't about like stolen bikes and it wasn't about like bike repair. Really, it's just about like where those bikes happen to end up in the minds of these people. And here's what they said about criminalization. This is uh this is Paul Koretz and uh, followed by Buscano. I know we don't want to criminalize the homeless, but at the same time, if you have criminal people who are in a homeless encampment uh, committing crimes, you really need to have some tools to reduce that. The issue of criminalizing homelessness was brought up. This ordinance does not criminalize homelessness. It criminalizes conduct that is in the direct result of feeling to support their drug habit drug okay. habits what what does that have to do with anything i don't Everything. know like it, it came out of nowhere and then and then he said the city was coddling i mean it is sort of like what what uh we heard mike bonin say at the top of the segment right like when he said it's just a campaign commercial it's, it's kind of what it feels like because he's talking about seeding the streets to thieves in a in a part of the different part of this meeting but I'm also trying to just wrap my head around Paul Koretz's comments. Like, council doesn't want to criminalize the home, homeless, but if you have criminal people in encampments, you have to do something about it. Like, that's that's sort of the logic, I guess. Same with criminal people in City Hall. What are we doing about that? <laughs> I mean, okay, so if they're already criminals then why do we need this law? I mean, it's just nothing makes sense. Like what Nithya Raman said was also like a perfect way to explain it. Like if it's already illegal, what are you going to make it double illegal or something? It's really galaxy brain level stuff coming from our uh, highly paid council members. But what Buscaino said is almost worse. Like Koretz is, look, Koretz is always saying some sideways shit, but the Buscaino line about criminalizing people stealing to support their drug habits uh, shows exactly where this motion is coming from. He is making a massive generalization. Like there are a lot of people who are just poor and he's using this as an excuse to stigmatize two things, poverty and drug addiction, um, which helps no one. Is super offensive. Um, and then he just makes a baseless assertion that criminalization, blanket criminalization, will fix this problem, even though it literally has never worked before. We have decades upon decades upon decades of evidence that criminalizing poverty doesn't fucking work. Excuse my language. But there's already proof that this doesn't work. I'm also curious about like the what's I, so like what's in the LA ordinance is um, is sort of interesting to me or like what will be because from the description above and again Joe Buscaino is saying that uh, the the Long Beach ordinance is a model for what LA should do like having just like five bike parts counts as a, a bike chop shop now if you're in public or if you have one bike that's like, broken down what? that sounds really extreme doesn't it? I mean, it does. And what, first of all, there are, uh, how this would affect countless of like brick and mortar bike shops who do repair on the streets and sidewalks because they don't have enough place in their stores. Like that's just one like small example I could think of. But also like, I often carry like extra bike parts on me because like something might break and you might need to fix it when you're out riding around. 
Yeah, I, I am to you know, support to support my drug <laughs> habit. Um, but then what um, what Raman said was really amazing too, because like you're supposed to somehow have like a license or registration or something that proves that your bike is yours. Um, why would, would that that goes into like the whole licensing thing where we really don't want to do that for for bikes because um, that opens up a whole other world of uh, criminalization and uh, who is allowed to be using our streets. But um, Councilmember uh, Marquise Harris Dawson, wow! I mean, he had I think the best statement of the day. Let's listen to that. Uh, once again, I think it's 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 nice. Um, to think about solutions to problems that would never face you. It's very different when you have to think about the problems that'll be created by, a, uh, and the jeopardy that you'll be put in by a policy if you're someone who might be targeted. And under this law, growing up in this city, I could have been arrested four or five, eight, nine, I don't remember how many times my bicycle broke and I had to fix it, or me and my brother had to fix our bikes, or me and a friend on my block had to fix our bikes. And so, again, this wide swath uh, that says anybody fixing a bike on a street that can't prove it's theirs uh, somehow is moved into the category of a criminal. This is so powerful to actually talk about how the city is thinking about certain people, and by that, I mean particularly poor people and people of color, um, and putting them into this category of criminal automatically. Um, (laughs) This is encouraging profiling, obviously, right? Like, hello, it's obvious that if you look like you have many, the police won't be harassing you if your bike breaks down for whatever reason. Um, I don't know anything about bikes, but it sounds like they break fairly easily. Um, so it's totally the case that at any given time, there's plenty of people pulled over on the side of the street trying to fix their bike. <clears throat> I also, I like that council member Bonham brought up in his comments, um, bike share and scooter share companies that were invited into our city with open arms to break our laws because they had a bunch of money behind them. Um, it was something that I <laughs> raged against a lot. Back in 2018, when I was managing a store on Montana, I used to constantly call non-emergency lines because there would be four or five scooters just dumped in front of my store. It's an accessibility issue. It's a mobility issue. No one seemed to care. Um, so... <laughs> And yeah, Buscaino was like, oh, I, I'm so pro scooter. Like I love innovation. Right. Like it's, it's just and so it's just ridiculous. Like, it's really frustrating again, because it goes back to like, who is allowed to be in public? Who was allowed to use our sidewalks? Who was allowed, um, just who was allowed to be in public period, end of story. So it's super, it's super, super enraging. Yeah. I mean, it's like, there is a gradient of desirable to undesirable that this makes a little bit I mean it's just it's so clear what the it's like if Joe Buscaino thinks you look like you are a drug addict then you deserve to be pretextually approached by LAPD and this is coming at a time when uh, there's all of this news which I would say is currently unsupportable at this point that oh, LAPD is trying to reduce pretextual or so-called hunch stops where they just generate an interaction with members of the public for no reason. It's an excuse to do profiling. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And then yes, there's and like the backing up for the, the LADOT where they're supposed to be finally getting out of traffic stops. But it seems like it, it, it doesn't jive with that. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. Like you have um, those these motions getting pushed through where it's like we're taking police out of the transportation patrolling business, right, for all these different things. And yet you're going to introduce this new task force or something to like, you know, go encampment to encampment and make sure that you don't have bikes. I mean, this is kind of what seems like what is being proposed. I mean, um, Krikorian said something like he was walking around and saw bikes that were obviously stolen or or um, noticed that they saw somebody's bike end up in a homeless encampment. And then um, it's like they are just trying to like use this to kind of like spread this fear that this might happen, but they're actually not doing anything about it. Like you could actually like try to do something about it. Um, and they're not even, they don't even, they care that little about people who use bikes. Like, and they're the most connected people, right? So like if they really <laughs> wanted to get police to respond in these cases, they could, but they're just saying, oh, it's unenforceable. We need another, we need another law to do this thing that's already illegal. There was like a really weird moment along those lines too, where Krikorian, like you said, he was like, he was talking about North Hollywood and he was talking about how as a Metro board member, he worked so hard to get bike share oh there and then 100% of the bikes were stolen. Let's listen to that. And I want to just add a little flavor to this. Uh, I fought very hard as a member of the Metro board to get bike share in North Hollywood, the Metro bike share program. And parking spaces were lost um, in order to allow uh, stations to be built um, and Metro bikes were made available so that we could add to mobility for people uh, around North Hollywood. And today, if you travel around to the eight or 10 or however many stations we have in North Hollywood, you will not find one single bike in any of them. They have all, 100% of the bikes have been stolen. Um, so we have a significant, organized, repeat criminal problem of bike theft that just has to be addressed. Wow. Uh, so, I mean, that sounds bad, right? Like, that sounds like a really big deal. 100% of bikes stolen, every bike stolen, organized bike crime rings. Um, this is why we can't have nice things, right, Alyssa? Uh, except he is completely wrong. I mean, you were watching, we were watching this video and Scott's like, did I just hear that right? <laughs> like, is, did he actually say all the Metro bikes are gone? And then Sarah Suleiman's story came out the next day and confirmed actually, yes, on Streets Blog, um, which was something that we all knew, which is that the bikes are being swapped out in North Hollywood right now because they're improving the bike share network in, uh, in the Valley. And why wouldn't you know that, first uh, of all, if you were on the Metro board, but yeah. also if you were someone who cares so much about bike infrastructure in your district? And Metro actually put out a like a press release about this saying all of the bikes are yes. going to be unavailable from like mid-January until April because 
they're currently not compatible with the rest of the system. So like you can't ride from North Hollywood to anywhere else right now. So when they're done with that, then the bikes will be compatible with the rest of the system. It's amazing that he went out there and sort of like doubled down on this. Yes, that he has is so clueless about what's actually serving bike riders in his district and he, that he's so targeted on uh, this issue instead of actually knowing how he might help those people to uh, ride a bike uh, or prevent their own bike from being stolen. I mean, it was just the hugest disconnect. And none of these people, none of these people that voted for this, there's 10 of them. There are mayoral candidates. There are people who get up in front of Ciclavia and give these speeches um, in the morning press conference. Do not let these people say that they care in any way about the cyclists in the city because they just completely showed us that they do not. No, and now they just want to be able to arrest people left and right because <laughs> Gregorian thinks that Mendru stole its own bikes. It's it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody arrest I, Metro immediately. The so chop shops, mo- I see them. They're driving around, putting bikes in these vans and <laughs> fixing them. How dare they? So that vote passed, as we said. <laughs> uh, final vote was 10 to 4, as Alyssa just mentioned. Council members Bonin, Harris Dawson, Price, and Rahman all voted against. This was just to draft the language for the ordinance. So we'll be following up with the official ordinance once it is written by City Attorney Mike Fewer's office. So as you can tell, we've already talked about Councilmember Buscaino twice today. This was yet another busy week for mayoral candidates as a field crowded with hopefuls continues to battle. I would even go so far as say a field crowded with pretenders continues to battle for the public's attention. (laughs) Right off the top... We had an announcement that the field for the mayoral seat would be getting at least slightly smaller. Alyssa, what happened this past week? Yes, on February 8th, that was Tuesday, last Tuesday, um, Jessica Lal announced she was ending her campaign for mayor. Um, She was not someone we talk about uh, very much, uh, maybe because it was hard for her to get a word in edgewise with all the extremely loud um, men, attention-grabbing men that uh, like to uh, say stupid things on social media. Um, but if you look at what um, kind of happened with her campaign, it's probably not too surprising. Um, she ha- had, I think, a lot of uh, buzz. She led the Central City Association uh, for a long time. Um, this is a powerful interest group that advocates for real estate and corporate interests in downtown. A lot of like developers, a lot of like big corporations that she has contacts with. Um, and she raised about $400,000, but that's so far behind um, even the other council members running, Kevin DeLeon and Buscano, and also Karen Bass, who raised more than $2 million. So I think that it was probably an economic decision on her part. What And what impact does this have on the race? Like, where do you guys think her supporters go from here? Like, it was a lot of corporations and developers and... So I know Stephen saw some VC money in there. What, where, where are those folks going now? Well, now, yeah, now we have uh, the the big man. <laughs> we, 
the big man. What are we going to call him? Oh, we have, we're going to have so much fun with this. Mr. Grove uh, <laughs> marched on into that city clerk office at the very, you know, hour before it closed. And he signed those papers on Friday. And I'm so, I'm so disappointed there wasn't like immediate <laughs> fireworks at the Grove to commemorate this day. <laughs> and he, uh, he, he, he's probably going to get a lot of her, mm-hmm. any support. I would say they're kind of the I most similar so. because it is like the developer people. Um, they're uh, slightly centrist, I would guess. You know, that's just, that's, that's where I think a lot of her support, um, We'll, we'll get through. Yeah, and towards. VCs love to give their money to people who lose. So I feel like it's going to go to Caruso. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he's like uh, one of the more famous developers in the city. <laughs> so it totally makes sense to me that <laughs> all that support is probably going to go to Mr. Americana. We can't say Americana because right. it's in Glendale. So he has uh. to... It's, he has to be you true. Know what? He has to focus on the Grove. the Grove. Thank you for and calling the me in on one that, right Mr. Now. Grove. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but the, Amer- I mean, the Americana uh, <laughs> memes uh, account was already um, gearing up for some good memes. So I, I'm kind of curious. Like, it seems to me like um, just to, to say one more word about Jessica Law. It. I wasn't <laughs> sure whether or not it was like the campaign that she was running, which seemed like it focused more on this sort of technocratic and also kind of like Yimby-ish stuff is just, I don't know if there's a clear place for it in the LA mayoral politics at all, but at least not in this cycle where it seems like even Caruso, who like we said, is a developer, like he is much more so focused on the public safety. Um, you know, okay, let me just, let me back way up. Do you guys know how like everyone says that if you watch the correspondence dinner, White House correspondence dinner where Barack Obama is making fun of Donald Trump, you can see in his eyes that he decided to be, that that was when he decided to run for president. Mm-hmm. I feel like Rick Caruso's version of that was when that trash can got lit on fire at the Grove during the protests last year. Like mm. we were just watching a little sunglasses kiosk at the Grove burn and he was like, the city has gone too far. I have to step in. He's doing like a public safety <laughs> campaign basically. He's like, corrupt politicians are are never going to clean up Gotham. I mean, Los Angeles. Yeah. We need somebody who's going to correct, you know, like... Um, so he's not doing this as like, um, vote for me because I'm a developer. It's like, vote for me because I alone can, um, Fix it. can stop this American And carnage. I too have been, yeah, I have been Americana carnage. I too have been smash and grab. <laughs> I know what it feels like to be violated. I put up fake barbed wire coil fencing around my property and you can have it yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, Jessica Lyle's campaign felt like very Bay Area energy and Rick Caruso's campaign is Mm. feeling really New York energy. Mm. Yeah, Bloombergian. Bloombergian. And I just like, are we going to get anyone fucking cool ever to run for like mayor in this city? Like at all? (laughs) And anyone (laughs) that's running a campaign based in LA and our reality? 
Well, yeah, we have now where the field is down to one woman. I don't even know of another woman who's like not a front runner. I was looking. I mean, there's some other candidates that we haven't talked about much in detail. Um, and we will go ha- devote a whole, you know, show to it coming up. But there's some debates coming up that we can talk about. But like, hi, it's Alyssa. Right after we recorded this, Gina Viola, who is a progressive organizer in the city, declared her campaign for mayor. So we will have another woman running for mayor. Karen Bass is now the only woman and she is moving so uh, far to the center. Not, not good. <laughs> Every proposal she comes out with, we're like, oh, okay. You know, you were yeah. a Republican. So she just put out her public safety plan um, and it got a lot of heat on social media because I think like the big takeaway is uh, that Karen Bass calls for co- uh, hiring more cops. It was basically what what it came down to in, in the LA Times, right? Yes. The the uh, so if you if you know the the we have these rules, city charter or something, or like what's the who makes these rules? So there's a we have these authorizations, these pre authorizations where we're allowed to hire. 9,700 sworn officers. And lately we've been far below that. So, you know, one of her key proposals is to restore that number, which is kind of exactly the opposite of what even our own elected officials <laughs> said that they <laughs> so, wanted to do. And I mean, at the same, so at once, I think it's like, it's disappointing. And I, am disappointed and at the on the other hand um the one thing that i can say is that as far as as far as what she's saying about like moving sworn officers out of desk jobs like a big part of LAPD's political push has been saying we need to hire more people we need to hire more people joe buscaino who is like the former former cop in the race who is presumably um, in lockstep with the LAPPL. Um, I don't know if you guys remember, there was that magazine article, like the LAPPL Mm -hmm. magazine, the Police Protective League magazine, where they said he was one of two council members that they trusted, right? Um, He was saying he wanted to get LAPD up to 11,000 sworn officers. And we were just like, "This, you're just pulling numbers out of a hat. But that's like, LAPD has put hundreds or more of its sworn officers into desk jobs. And at the same time, they're saying that they need to hire more people at this, like while they have these people with guns sitting there answering phones all day, like it makes no fucking sense. So like part of, part of Bass's plan actually says like, if you're going to ask us for more officers, you should put you should just hire civilians to do civilian work, um, which I I support in general. Like I also think that we shouldn't be going for ninety seven hundred or any other stupid number that you could pull out of a hat. But um, but I think it makes intuitive sense to not you know pay cops to to do things that somebody without a badge and gun can easily do and. That also includes like a lot of the street detail. So hopefully she can be pushed to the left in terms of like, we don't need sworn officers to do all of the things that sworn officers are currently doing. Let's look at 
pulling that number down. But it, it's definitely tacking to the center. I mean, they don't even do the things that sworn officers with a badge and a gun are supposed to do, like prevent crime, because we still have crime. So we should just abolish they can't. Like, the they police. Could, you can't. You can't prevent uh, crime with a badge and a gun like that. You have to. And you know what? I mean, I do. I want to give her credit because like this is a woman who has been on um, on the front lines of, I think, worse conditions than a lot of people our age have ever seen personally in the city of L.A., Um, you know, and and um, and so I think that. I, and I hope that she gets it. I guess I guess I'm still optimistic and I'm still trying to like find a way where it's like, even though I knew and expected that um, that she was going to be more of a reformist candidate coming into this, like I, I hope that some of those um, you know lessons from setting up community coalition in South LA and, um, and hopefully there there can be some further conversations about how like these CSPs, the community safety partnerships, which she talks a lot about in her safety plan, are probably not the full answer to this sort of like segregated and very differently policed Los Angeles that we're currently in. Okay, so that will do it for us this week. LA Podcast is, of course, supported by our subscribers in the Sepulveda Pass program. Thank you so much to pass holders. You keep our work independent, ad-free, and best of all, you are supporting local alternative media. If you can swing it, a $5 monthly subscription really goes a long way for us. You can sign up for the Sepulveda Pass by going to thelapod.com and clicking the support us link or by going to patreon.com slash LAPodcast. Don't forget to also check out our other podcast, 30 Mile Zone, which you can find wherever you get podcasts. I'm actually currently trying to figure out how to get it on title by request this week. TMZ is a movie club podcast. You can watch along with myself and The Ringer's Allison Herman. We're watching every LA movie ever made. On Wednesday, we have a new episode coming out, and it is about the 1978 classic Killer of Sheep, which revolves around... Life in Watts after the 1960s uprising. It is so, so good. LA Times columnist Frank Shong is joining us for that one. And it's a fantastic place to start. If you want to subscribe and if you like what we do, please help us out by going to Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe. You can leave us a review. It's a really fast way to help us get local politics news out to more folks. Lastly, thank you to Brian Holmes for producing the show as always. Matt Tinoco for editing my wonderful co-hosts Alyssa and Rachel and you at home for listening we'll see you next week bye <laughs>